Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott. Hello, everybody, and welcome aboard Must Read Alaska, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska today. It is a beautiful day in South Central Alaska. The planes are flying around, and the looks like we're going to get some more lightning strikes on the mountains over in the Talkeetna Mountains this afternoon. In fact, I think we're heading towards fire season. So for all the latest news, just be sure to go over to mustreadalaska.com and uh, hit the subscribe button, pick up the newsletter there. Lots of great political content. And um, you know, go to go to our YouTube channel. We're always posting there on Facebook. We're at mustreadalaska.com, and you'll see uh, tons of stuff going on on Facebook. We run polls there, and we're just so glad you were able to join us today. But today we have a special guest, and I, I don't want to take up a lot of time before we get to Brian Fisher, who's with the Division of Homeland um, uh, Homeland Security with the State of Alaska, and he's joining us today. And Brian, are you there on the other on the other line with me? I'm here. Pleasure to be with you, Suzanne. Thank you for coming on with us today. Uh, Brian, tell us about what your role is with the state of Alaska. So thanks. So my regular job, I guess my day job is as the uh, acting director of the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. So so we're the agency that, that manages all the kind of the dis- disasters, you think fires and floods and earthquakes and those kind of things. Uh, but for the last year and a half, uh, my second job, if you will, has been as one of the incident commanders for the state's COVID-19 Unified Command. So I, I've been in charge of, uh, you know, getting, getting us through this pandemic uh, with, the, with the team at the Department of Health and Social Services. And you've got, um, I mean, there's a lot going on with all of that. I mean, it's a, it's a big job to run um, disaster management stuff in the state. And, and it, it, it was a, a bit of a disaster because we didn't know, uh, even a year ago, all, I don't know if you, you flew, I flew last year, and I tell you, the airports were desolate. There was nobody in them. And uh, we didn't have enough information to quite manage it. We certainly didn't have the PPP, the personal protective equipment, the PPE that we needed. We didn't have, of course, all the advantages of the information that the experts have gathered for the whole year. And we were really running blind a little bit. So there was a lot going on. But in the meantime, um, well, I think what, one of the things we wanted to talk about today was that our cruise ship season last year was an absolute bust and all of our cruise dependent economy towns are really still suffering, but we're really hoping for better things now. And I know you've been working on it. So tell listeners what you've been doing to try to restore the cruise season for Alaska. So I think, uh, you know, then this started, um, these conversations started really as, as early as um, March of 2020. Um, like you said, we really didn't know uh, what was going to happen with respect to this pandemic. Um, it was pretty clear that um, we had a lot to do. Things did get pretty pretty rough around the globe and in the country and in the state. And unfortunately, the federal government um, issued what they called the no sale order. Um, if you remember the Diamond Princess, there were some cruise ships that had a really bad time with uh, serious COVID outbreaks and, and fatalities at the beginning oh. Uh, of the pandemic. So the CDC shut down cruising essentially in the entire country. 
Um, and since that happened, we have been, uh, Governor Dunleavy's administration has been working with Southeast Alaska communities and industry uh, to, to make ourselves all ready for the resumption of sailing once we get through this pandemic. So for the last year, we've been communicating quite a bit, um, the governor himself, the delegation, and us to CDC. And what we really said was, let us do what we do best here in Alaska. Let us manage the safety of our residents and workers and visitors and kind of federal government. If you'd uh, stay out of the way, we'd really appreciate that. So um, in, in the fall, the CDC lifted their no-sale order and put in place a conditional sailing order, which really created a, a whole myriad of hoops that cruise lines had to go through in port communities to demonstrate that they would be able to resume sailing in a safe manner with, uh, you know, with the virus still out there. So um, we have been, we kind of led the effort, corralled the, uh, the cruise line industries, port communities in Southeast Alaska and uh, the, the Alaska Travel Industry Association and their members that are the, the small kind of uh, tourism entities in Southeast uh, to come up with a plan to, to assist the cruise lines in making their uh, application to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for, for what's called a conditional sailing certificate. Um, and so we've been doing that. We were just a couple of weeks ago successful. We got the very first agreement through kind of through all the hoops signed with Norwegian Cruise Line and a number of Southeast communities and the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. It was submitted a, uh, just a couple of Fridays ago to CDC and the cruise line is waiting to hear back on whether they get their uh, their permission to sail in August, well, which is what they're what planning. Did that, yeah, what did that? What did you have to do to get that? Um, you know, what does that agreement look like? What is does, that, does the communities have to put a bunch of hand sanitizer on the dock? What do you do? All sorts of things that you can think of that we've been doing for the last year, from uh, testing, um, you know, cruise ship uh, crew members and as well as passengers all of the sanitization protocols, um, uh, reduced capacities on the vessels. And then kind of similarly, like you just said, on the, on the, the port side, kind of same thing. How are you going to keep the handrails and the restrooms at the docks clean? And, and how are you going to make sure that people uh, can visit Alaska safely and, and, you know, kind of maintain social distancing and the whole mask wearing and, and all of those kind of aspects? Uh, the most important was really how we were going to figure out uh, what to do if we saw COVID on a cruise ship. You know, that was kind of the nightmare scenario last year. Right, so right. a lot of time goes into um, making sure the medical capacity on ships is, avail is available in case there are um, outbreaks and then uh, making sure there are agreements in place to take anybody that may get sick and need hospitalization to uh, get them to shore and, and, and for us to get them out of those small communities that don't have a lot of hospital capacity to begin with. Right. So let's take a look at someplace like Skagway. So uh, Skagway, a very important port community for cruise ships. They get um, their 95% of their economy is based on cruise ship travel. And so it's at about a six month year economy and the rest of the year, they have a little bit of independent travel coming down from Canada, but of course none, none right now because the borders are closed. No motorcycles clubs are coming down from Whitehorse or the Yukon. And so um, they are obviously really hurting, but they also are in a situation where if they do have an outbreak in Skagway, there is no hospital. There's a little clinic there. I don't even know if there's a doctor. There might be a physician's assistant, um, but they also can't really fly people out of there all the time because of the weather. The weather is kind of rough in Southeast and, um, you know, getting through Burners Bay from, to, I go, I know I go this route pretty frequently, so I know it pretty well flying from Juneau to Burner, through Burners Bay to uh, Skagway, you can't always get through Burners Bay. Sometimes you just, you're pinned down for a day or two. 
So tell us about that. So I think, um, and you know, we've had lots of great conversations with uh, Andrew Kermada, the mayor there. And yeah. um, I, I will say kind of first and foremost, one, one of the things that we've been very focused on and the governor has been focused on from the very beginning of this COVID was uh, the fact that economic health for our communities is just as important as kind of public health, medical health, if you will. Sure it is. So I think everybody's eager to, to resume here. And, and with the concerns that you just expressed, many of our small port communities in Southeast are, are in a similar boat. Um, I, I think the big game changer for all of us has been vaccinations. So, mm -hmm. um, and I, I'd say the good news, for example, the Norwegian cruise line agreement that we just signed a couple of weeks ago, um, that cruise line, in order to, to make it as safe as possible, made their own decision from the corporate level to require 100% vaccination of all crew members and guests that are going to come up here to sail uh, to Alaska in August and September and October. And, and with that in mind, just the, the epidemiology, you know, Dr. Ann Zink and Dr. Joe McLaughlin uh, have reviewed the protocols and, and they're, they're feeling very comfortable that if, if there's that level of vaccination on a ship, uh, and the communities in Southeast are doing a great job just vaccinating themselves locally, um, that we really don't expect to see anything. There may be one or two cases. We don't think people are going to get very sick. We don't think there are going to be outbreaks, but we can't, we can't just assume that. So what we did was, um, I, I think the cruise lines, a lot of the onus is on them and Royal or Norwegian, for example, they, um, they really increased the on ship medical care capacity, kind of the hospital ship capacity to be able to treat patients on the ship without having to having to offload them in one of our port communities. Um, with that said, they also, have interesting. Yeah, they also have interesting. Yeah, they also have contingency. Let, 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 let me oh, ask you about that for a second. So, so let's say you've got a, a, a somebody who develops COVID, and maybe they've had a vaccine, so the case that they develop of COVID isn't in all that dire. They just need to be isolated, and so are, are they going to have sort of quarantine zones on the ships? Yeah, so absolutely. So they so they they will be operating at a reduced capacity, and some of that is to just you know have a little more distance between the guests and the crew. But part of that is to have rooms available, you know, staterooms on on the vessels available to be able to isolate folks. And and kind of the the what we've seen with vaccinated folks, like you just said, is even if they do contract uh, the disease, they don't get severely ill. So in many respects, mm -hmm. it may be a case of just keeping them isolated in their cabin. Um, you know, the CDC recently re released guidance that um, if you're vaccinated and you're coming to close contact with somebody who has COVID, you don't have to quarantine yourself. So uh, that really was a game changer. But I, I think the other thing that almost every uh, cruise line that we've talked to so far is planning on doing, if needed, is to isolate any passengers that become patients and really steam back to their home port of Seattle, uh, which is an interesting thing that usually doesn't happen. And, and it wouldn't happen for things like heart attacks and broken arms and, and those kind oh. of things. But for COVID, they've built the capacity up on the ship to be able to isolate and treat their guests and take them back to Seattle. So they're not going to you know, offload them and, and burden our, our very small capacity here. We required them. I asked every, right there. Yeah. Yeah. I asked every cruise in, cruise line to if they were going to have contingency contracts in place with our air with air ambulance services that they do that locally. So we have a lot of air ambulance companies with pretty good capacity in Southeast Alaska. But many cruise lines, you know, they're global companies and their contracts are with, you know, worldwide medical evacuation folks. But I asked them all to make sure that they, their their global contracts or specific contracts were with Alaska based um, airplanes or helicopters and flight medic crews 
uh, in just in the extreme chance that we might have to medevac somebody off. And then, and then it's Alaska. We deal with the weather. You know, sometimes the yeah, planes yeah. just can't get in and, and get out and, and our communities do an amazing job at, at kind of managing that chaos. If the weather is, if the weather is our enemy. Well, in a lot of these Southeast communities, Brian, um, have a, a pretty good vaccination rates in the community. So you're not seeing a lot of the people who are, uh, you know, from the community needing hospital care at this point, because all the seniors have been vaccinated. I mean, if you look at, at across the broad spectrum of the society, the, the senior citizens, they go, they're going in, they're vaccinated, they're getting vaccinated. They know that they are the number one target for this virus. This virus wants them, wants them bad. And then down in the 55 year olds and the, and the 40 year olds. And now we're, now we're seeing people get them as young as 12. Doesn't sound like we're going to be getting any kids on cruise ships this year though. Right. So the, the cruise lines are still having conversations. So we think, um, you know, if they're 12 and older and they're eligible for the, for the Pfizer vaccine, then they're certainly welcome, I believe, uh, you know, on those cruise ships that require the vaccination. So younger than that is going to be a challenge. We're still talking to cruise lines um, that cater to families, if you will. Um, and they're having direct kind of conversations with our port communities in Southeast Alaska to determine what level of vaccination is enough on a ship. So there's potential that we may see some family cruises uh, this late summer and early fall. Um, not sure they're not not quite sure about that yet, but it's it's definitely not off the table. Where they're still talking well, about it. Well, this is actually the this is the year if somebody wanted to cruise Alaska to do it because um, the the capacity is going to be re- reduced on the ship, so you're, you're going to have the whole ship to yourself. I don't know how anybody's going to make any money, but and when you get into port, there's only be one or two ships a day maximum. Looks like one ship a day in many of these ports, and uh, you'll be able to get off, and you won't be competing throughout the town or for for trips. Uh, you'll be able to do anything you want to do because. Um, the towns are going to be wide open. You won't have to, you won't be crowded in. It's a, it's a good year to travel, but. Yeah, I think that's are, absolutely true. Yeah. There are other, you know, there are other concerns. Um, I, mean, I was looking at, uh, of course, the news media about uh, Ron DeSantis and him challenging the cruise lines that they can't require a vaccine. And then the CDC said, well, you know, that actually could impact Alaska. So how, what is the situation with, the, the rules in Florida, the law that DeSantis signed, the requirement for vaccines and, and CDC's decision on whether or not that would impact us. Do you know what that's at? So, yeah, I think the, the real crux of what's been in the, in the, in the mainstream media lately is uh, the lawsuit that Governor DeSantis filed that Governor Dunleavy joined. Um, against the CDC, and it wasn't re- it wasn't about vaccination. It wasn't about cruise lines requiring vaccination. It was really about CDC's kind of over heavy handed um, requirements on the cruise industry. It's it's really the only industry in in America that has been targeted as harshly um, with respect to the pandemic and COVID nineteen. Um, no other industry has been affected like they have. And so the, the Florida lawsuit was really about the requirements being much too onerous for cruise companies to be able to, to, to get through. Now, the CDC, after that lawsuit was filed and with pressure from our delegation and our governor and Governor Sanders and others, um, they really have uh, taken a much more friendly approach and communicative approach with industry. Which, which really spurred all of the cruise lines into getting a hold of me and wanting to try to save the season. Just a couple months ago, we thought the 2021 sailing season was shot as well. 
but they so so they've relaxed their their kind of attitude if you will they're very they're very cooperative and collaborative with us now um and what's being reported in the media is that if that lawsuit goes through and an injunction is put in then um what the delegation was able to do with respect to canada and waiving the passenger vessel service act so we could bypass canada um there is some interpretation by by a few that that will jeopardize our ability to have a cruise season. And we just, we just do not agree with that, that uh, kind of legal opinion that hasn't been, uh, hasn't been issued yet. We, we believe that we're all working very well with cruise industry. There are some, there's been a cruise, uh, cruise ship sailing in Europe. There are some just starting in the Caribbean and, um, and we're working well with CDC. So we think that may be overcome by events and we'll be able to get these, you know, kind of jump through the hoops that CDC wants, demonstrate that the cruise lines in our port communities and our state and local health officials uh, can do this safely, and they're going to let us return. And um, it's not a whole season, but we're hoping it's going to be half a cruise season. And it's really what the cruise industry is telling me. It's great practice for a full and robust 2022 cruise season where we really expect, um, you know, people coming to Alaska in numbers like we haven't seen in a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. People are, I mean, you're already, our airports are filling up and hotels in Anchorage are going, you can get, can't get a hotel here for less than like $300, even a Motel 6. Cars yeah. here in Anchorage are going for, you know, $300 a day. I mean, people are coming to Alaska because we've got a lot, of, we, we, we do social distancing better than anybody. So they want to come up and see it now before the dam breaks and all the rest of the tourists come up. So this is fascinating. What, so the, the first ship is coming up at the end of July. Am I correct? And yeah. So, so a couple yeah. of lines are looking at late July and then uh, a couple in August, and they're all planning out through, uh, through October, even the ones that, that come up here in the late fall. So I, I, that's a little bit different because I, I had not heard that the ships might be sailing as late as October because that usually it's dark, it's stormy. We get those, those uh, autumn gales through Southeast Alaska. It's not the greatest cruising weather and you can't go out and, and, and stand around on the deck so much in the weather. But it sounds like they want to extend a little bit just to try to recoup some of their expenses. Um, so what else do we need to know about the the response that you guys have had. I mean, here I was down in the Kenai and the people on the Kenai thought that the governor and yourself, obviously doing the work for him, have been doing a fantastic job. They had nothing but praise to say about the management of the, the COVID pandemic. Uh, what else do we need to know about what you've been working on with cruise, cruise ships? Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the sentiment. And really, the credit really does have to go to the governor. I think kind of on the on the shore side piece of this, we, you know, we've worked very, very well with port communities and the cruise industry. It's been the most, you know, in any kind of private industry, there's lots of uh, competition and all that, if you will, but, but not with respect to resuming uh, a tourism season and a cruise ship season this year. Um, everybody has been completely above board. We're sharing documents, we standardized everything. And that was that was a tough deal. I, I, you know, we, we kind of put a request out for every cruise ship company to use a standard set of safety protocols. So it was consistent for our local jurisdictions. And on the flip side, we asked every Southeast port community to have a consistent and standardized set of requirements for the cruise ships. And it, it was just amazing. Every mayor, uh, city manager, Borough Assembly, Port, Ma Port Director, Harbor Master, all and every cruise line around the globe uh, came together to kind of use a standardized set of protocols. 
to get this in place. And I mean, it was just, it's some of the most cooperative work that I've seen between public and private sector uh, in my 26 years uh, doing emergency stuff here in the state. But I think the other piece of it is really the, either the individual tourist side or the uh, tourism workforce side. You know, the governor has made a, a concerted effort, not only to do the big advertising campaigns in lower 48 and around the globe to invite people to our safe state, but we had also made it a, a strong priority to make, for example, make vaccines available to workers, seasonal workers that are going to come up to the state. We did that very, very well with the fishing industry. And uh, it was a model in our communities and, and those folks that are doing the vaccinations at the local level, uh, working with us at the state have, uh, you know, really made an effort to make that available to seasonal workers to make sure that, you know, the folks coming up to open up those seasonal tourism uh, businesses are, uh, if they want the vaccine, then it's available to them. And it, it's readily available when they get here before the season starts. Um, and then, of course, there's also some, you know, economic relief that is uh, still being made available. There was a we, we, we issued a release. Commissioner Crummer issued a release just last week or the week before um, with some summer camp program funding from the CARES Act to make sure that um, parents can return to work. Those who haven't been able to work either because of seasonal or because of the pandemic, that their children have a place to go. So we granted a quite a bit of money out to the, the folks that run the summer camps for kids. So kids have a place to go that's going to be safe and the parents can get back to work. So we're kind of we've been working on it from all kind of all angles with a kind of single focus to safely um, kickstart the economy and get back to kind of how we were before COVID showed up. So that's, that's really interesting. So, uh, you know, it, it's true that the parents are struggling because the daycare enterprises have been so disrupted and there's so much instability and a lot of the, the daycare babysitter providers have moved off just like the restaurant workers have moved off into other fields. They've left and they've gone to work for Costco or they've gone to work for cars or they, is their jobs as stalkers is, seem more secure than a job as a, as a server. Um, and, and our workforce in Southeast is, I mean, it's struggling. They can't, they can't get people to, to go to work in some of these places. I've got a question for you though about uh, some of the travelers when they come up, they will be vaccinated do they also have to wear masks when they're on board? So on board, unfortunately, they're going to have to in most cases. And that is a federal order that's been out for a while. It's also the same one that we've been having a hard time. We've been working with the delegation. They've been trying to work with CDC to remove that mask requirement for fishermen. Um, yeah. You know, for us, it's a very, very serious safety concern to have fishermen on the deck of a, of a fishing vessel or crabbing vessel um, oh, yeah. wearing a mask that's wet, that they can't breathe, that oh, they can't yeah. communicate. So that's a, unfortunately, it's a federal requirement when you're on a ship or on an airplane, uh, on public transit and in airports and things like that. To, yeah. To have to still wear a mask. And, and I think as soon as that goes away, I think it'll be dependent on, you know, the cruise lines as private businesses will be able to make their own business decisions, just like they are for vaccine. And I think that's a, you know, that's another key point. Our state's, you know, kind of different than many others where the governor has been very strong from the very beginning that he's not going to tell a private business what they can do or what they can't do. Similar, and there's been some challenges with, uh, you know, in a home rule state that the governor hasn't told sure. municipalities what they can or can't do. So we're, we hope we get, we, we hope we get to that position, you know, with respect to masks and things like that. There's, they still are a valuable tool and, you know, cruise ships are, 
are notorious for being, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, sometimes get sick on a cruise ship. There's just a lot of people in the buffets and, and that kind of oh, thing. Right. You get the norovirus. That will go through <laughs> right. Ship. But, let me, but let me tell you, with all the sanitizing that they're, they're doing, I just, you haven't seen the regular influenza just because everybody's sort of t- social distancing, staying away, washing their hands, doing the things they, they ought to do to get rid of the, the flu virus. Norovirus might not be that big of a problem either. But I imagine that if they're on board and they are in the public spaces, they'll still have to wear the mask until we can convince the federal government that this is ridiculous. Although I don't know that anybody uh, who is working on the cruise ships is going to be all that enforcing of it. They may just kind of look the other way. I don't know. They may, they may be more hospitable and just say, you know, you're vaccinated. We know you're vaccinated. And this is a ridiculous rule. Um, I don't know. On the airplanes, we're seeing a lot of enforcement and it's gotten very, very heavy handed. But um, it's hard to say the cruise ships might just take a lighter touch with it. Yeah, I, you know, I really think we'll see uh, similar to what I'm seeing now when, I, when I'm out in the stores in South Central, you know, when when mask requirements or mandates were lifted at the local level, there were still some stores, some restaurants and some stores that as employers required masking. So you saw a lot of the employees, you know, wearing a mask, even though as a, as just a a client of the store or the restaurant or whatever, you could go in and it was optional to use. So, you know, I expect we'll see a gradual um, reduction in that and get to the point where, you know, if, if you feel comfortable wearing a mask, then have at it. And if, if you don't, then don't kind of the same thing the governor has been saying about vaccine, you know, it's a personal health decision. Right, right, right. Well, listen, um, for the for those who are listening in today, we really appreciate having Brian Fisher here with us. He's with the acting director of the Division of Emergency Management and Homeland Security. And he's been with the division for 26 years. That means he's been through um, earthquakes and fires and floods. I, you've, you've, you've seen it all from the, the big floods on the Yukon, the Kuskokwim, fires on the Kenai and up in, in Delta. Um, the earthquakes that you have had to manage. So now you're having to manage the, the big thing that you probably never really thought you'd ever have to manage, which is a pandemic. And we really appreciate you coming on on with us today, Brian. Thank you so much. Thank you, Suzanne. And for everybody else, uh, just be sure to tune in midweek for the Must Read Alaska podcast. It's always up by Thursday morning. Scott is our host for that podcast. He always does a great job. It's got good content. There's a lot to talk about. So don't miss out on the Thursday morning um, podcast. You can also check with us on Facebook. We'll be doing some live streaming tomorrow. I know that the mayor-elect has, uh, Mayor-elect Bronson will have some announcements to make tomorrow, that he'll be announcing some of the uh, appointments to his his, uh, organization there as he starts to take over the, the government in Anchorage. And if you're a supporter of Must Read Alaska, I just want to thank you so much. You make it possible for this little enterprise to stand up for what's right in Alaska. If you'd like to support us, just hit that donate button on the right side of mustreadalaska.com. And that way we'll stay independent, we'll stay thoughtful, and against that big liberal activist news media that we all know way too well. So until next time, everybody, I'm signing off. I'm Suzanne Downing from somewhere in Alaska. <laughs>